Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today as we finish up the sermon series called God is Here and think about the blessings of Pentecost, we'll tie those two thoughts together as we see how through the blessing of the Holy Spirit and the strength that he brings for our faith, we rejoice in God's presence here with us now and the presence that we will have with him forever. A couple of weeks ago in the sermon, we talked about this moments. And if you were here, you might remember that I asked you to do some things in your life where you identified even the little things, the blessings from God as those this moments that remind you of God's presence. And if you weren't here, it's okay. You can still practice that. Maybe it's something really simple, some joy that you get out of an everyday event that can become a this moment. I have a question for you, those of you that may have been here a couple weeks ago. When you think about identifying your this moments, how, how did you do? Were you able to find a few every single day that reminded you, yes, God is presence in, present in my life? Or, or, or maybe a follow-up question to that, how many of your this moments involved bacon? Maybe you realized something though, and, and I did too. It's not that easy, is it? It's not that easy to think in terms of this moments, to always recognize God's presence. And, and maybe you discovered a little bit why that is, too. Because right alongside those this moments, don't we also experience that, that moments? Those things that bring pain, sorrow, sadness, frustration, depression in this life? And isn't it easy to zero in on those that moments so that they almost drown out completely the this moments that God wants us to experience? We're pretty good at that, aren't we? Focusing on the things that we don't like, the things that cause us trouble in this life, and then sort of forgetting the good things that happen. That's why it's so wonderful today to have this reminder from the psalmist in Psalm 84 to be reminded that even in the midst of that moments that we experience in this life, there is a this that towers over all of them. And it's the presence of our God in our lives. So today as we take a look at these words from Psalm 84, let's remind ourselves that anything that God can give is so much better than what this world can give that it, God brings us even better than the best we can experience here. We're reminded through the psalmist today that, yes, God is present with us right now. He is with us in our lives now. And then he gives us another blessing, that we will be with him forever in heaven. Listen again to the first two verses of Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. If you were to take a look at Psalm 84, you would discover that it was written by the sons of Korah. They were Levites who in David's day, when many of the Psalms were written, were serving in the tabernacle. You might remember the tabernacle as that, that movable tent that God's presence dwelled in right through the Ark of the Covenant. So the psalmist just tells us that God's dwelling place is lovely and that's why he wants to be in God's presence. Maybe we should ask ourselves for a moment, where 
does the psalmist believe that that happens? Where is this dwelling place of God? And for God's Old Testament people, maybe particularly the Levites, that would have been at the tabernacle and later the temple when that was built. That was where they went to worship their God. And that was where God's presence was reflected. Later, the people of Israel would use this psalm when they were in exile, when they were far away from their homeland in Jerusalem as an expression of the longing to go back to God's house, that lovely dwelling place, the temple that was such a huge presence in Jerusalem. So what about us today? Couldn't, couldn't we say that, that God's dwelling place is right here among us right now? Jesus said these words, where two or three are gathered in God's name, there he is with them. And maybe we could even go a little bit further and say the ultimate dwelling place of God, where, where God will be present forever, is in the heaven that he's prepared for us. No wonder the psalmist says, my, my soul yearns for God, that his spirit, his flesh cries out for the living God. Then I thought to myself as I heard those words, how's my thinking when it comes to that? How's our thinking when it comes to yearning for God's dwelling place, wanting to recognize God's presence in our lives? See, that's what God wants for you. He wants you to recognize that he's with you always. The Bible uses expressions like God's house, God's kingdom, God's table to demonstrate God's desire to live and dwell among us, his people. Maybe you even remember that when God prophesied the birth of his son, the coming Messiah, he gave him a special name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Even in the name that God gave to his promised Messiah, he wants you and me to see his desire to live and dwell with us. So why? Why so often does it seem as if God is far away from us? That he's not very near to us at all. Could it be because of our sin? Could it be that our sin causes the separation between us and God? See, that's exactly what sin does. Sin is the great separator, the barrier that stands between us and God. Let me demonstrate to you just for a moment that that sin separates. You've probably experienced this in your life. Someone sins against you, maybe one of the last things you want is to be in their presence. Or or how about this? Let's say you and another person, maybe a a, a family member, maybe another member of, of God's people, you have words. You speak harshly to one another. You're not happy about the fact that it happened, but it happened. You know what happens the next day, right? It's hard to be in that person's presence. Partly because of the shame, partly because of the frustration, partly because maybe there's still a little bit of anger left over, right? Sin separates us. Can I take you all the way back to the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve had just eaten of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one command that God had given them to not do. And then God came to the Garden Do you remember what they did? They hid. They tried to get as far away from God as they could. They tried to be as separate from God as they could possibly get. 
That's what sin does. And no matter how hard I try, no matter what I can do, it's never enough. It cannot be enough for me to be the holy person that God wants me to be. James actually wrote this in his epistle, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. What we need when our iniquities separate us from God, as Isaiah wrote, we need God to act. The holiness that we need to stand before God isn't going to come from us. But God had a plan. So you think about that, the sin that separates us from God, it's really what keeps us from recognizing that God is here in our lives. Because if, if my sin separates, that idea that God is here simply doesn't work and so God must be there, far away, not close to me, not caring about me. You see, sin tries to convince us that God could never love us, that he could never want to truly live and dwell with us. And if it were up to me, if I were the one that needed to make the difference so that God could be together with me, it would never happen. But you know what God did. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God removed the barrier that stood between us and him. That's how God demonstrates his desire to be with us. He took away the thing that separated us from him. We see in Jesus his love and forgiveness and his desire to be with us every day. That's what the psalmist in Psalm 84 reflects on as he draws this conclusion. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Better. Better is one day, he says. That word is one that comes up pretty often in the Hebrew language. It's the exact same word that God used when he looked at the days of creation and said, it is good. It's perfect. There's beauty to it. That's exactly what the writer is saying here too. There's beauty in spending even a little bit of time with God. In the book that this sermon series has sort of followed, Three Words That Will Change Your Life by Pastor Mike Novotny, he describes a situation where he does some happy math or happiness math, if you want to say it that way. He takes that number, a thousand, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And he surmises what that would be like. So just picture this in your own mind for a moment. You get a thousand days starting tomorrow. One thousand days where you have no responsibilities, no financial constraints. You can do whatever you want that will make you happy for the next one thousand days. If you want to do a little bit math, that's almost three years. You can travel anywhere in the world that you want. You can attend events that you want to see. You can have whatever meal you want to eat. You can spend time with loved ones, family, whoever you want for a thousand days. That sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? You get a lot of stuff done. Check a lot of things off your bucket list, right? But you know what? You know what the psalmist would say? Those thousand days... Not even close. Not even close to the joy that we have with one day in the courts of our Heavenly Father. There's no comparison. 
You can't compare anything that this world has to the joy that is waiting for us because that barrier of sin has been removed. Every time we come here to God's house, every time God is with us as two or three gather in his name, we get a taste of that blessing. When God comes to us in his word, when he comes to us in the Lord's Supper, Jesus' very body and blood and the bread and wine, we get a taste of what heaven is going to be like. A taste of what we will enjoy fully when Jesus comes back again. How can this be? Didn't we just talk about this gigantic separation between us and God and how we feel like God is there instead of here? Well, listen to God's promises to you in his word. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Paul wrote this, The wages of sin is death, but the gift, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's God's promise to you, that he's replaced death with life, that he wants to live with you not just here in this world, but forever in heaven. And he went about it by taking that separation and making it a union. Through Jesus, God unites us to him, not separate from him anymore, but one with him. He calls us his own dear children. Jesus is the one who accomplished it. He's the one that eliminates our sin, that makes us at one with God, and I don't even know if we can imagine some of the that that Jesus went through to deliver us from sin. The pain, the suffering, even death on a cross so that you and I can stand before God holy, righteous, and heirs of eternal life. But today as we celebrate Pentecost, God didn't stop there. He didn't simply send Jesus and say, okay, now all your sins are paid for, but you're kind of on your own. Not at all. He sent his Holy Spirit who convinces us of the truth, who tells us that yes, you are God's own child, you're loved, you are an heir, an heir of eternal life. Through word and sacrament, God opens the door of heaven and he leads us to that heavenly home where Jesus has prepared a place for us before him in heaven. That's God's desire to live with you, not just for a short time, but forever. And Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to take us home to live with him forever. Listen to the way the Apostle Paul described this in the letter to the Philippians. Paul says he's confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The good work that God began in you, your faith. Faith to believe that Jesus is your savior from sin. The carrying on to completion is Jesus coming back to take us to live with him forever. Some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, though sin separates us from him, God is here with us through Jesus' death. Jesus eliminates sin and replaces separation with union. Number two, Jesus unites us with our heavenly father. It's that death it's the forgiveness that Jesus won by his death and resurrection that puts us at one with God. And then finally, number three, Jesus is the way to our forever home in heaven. Yes, Jesus unites us, he redeems us, and he waits for us to come live with him forever. So we talked about those three words a lot over the last few weeks, God is here, and how life-changing those words can be. 
But I'm going to guess that you might have just a little frustration like I do of, of truly just fully embracing those words every single day. So how? How do we keep those words? How do we keep that concept on our hearts and in our minds so that we let God's presence in our lives make that difference? To remind us that there's nothing for us to worry about or care in this world because of what is yet to come. The cross is the key. It's as if God used the cross of Jesus to hand you a key to a home, a beautiful home, a home that he wants you to enjoy in full. Jesus is the key to eternal life in heaven. He came to this life, united us with God by making a sacrifice for our sins, and yes, he now has opened wide the door of heaven for you and for me. When the frustration of this life comes, when we're tempted to think that maybe God is there, remember the cross of Jesus. That's where we see that God is here. And then there's a place that he has waiting for you where there is no that, but only this, those beautiful moments in God's presence forever. For eternity, you and I are going to be saying those three words and rejoicing God is here, and we are with him. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.